the joke I made before worship service when they told me there wasn't going to be a choral anthem is that I worshiped too many years with Quakers and I have a lot longer tolerance for silence than the rest of you. <laughs> Join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Okay, so I'm sitting on the couch in my living room like I do on most evenings. Steve Reed, my husband, is on the other side, and all of a sudden he chuckles as he's flipping through the pages on Facebook. Now, you need to know that when he's looking at Facebook, he's also watching TV and probably reading a book to prepare for class the next day all at the same time. So, of course, I ask, what was so funny? And he says, you got to see this cartoon. Two or three dogs, he says, are running all over the place, jumping on each other, tumbling, climbing, falling all over the place. And the caption reads, it's all fun and games. Now, I thought about that joke, and it kind of reminded me of preaching about one of Jesus' parables. And today was a great example, because I went to Sunday school class and heard what people in there thought of when they heard this parable. This morning we heard Megan talk about the parable. And the great thing about parables is everybody sees them differently. Everybody hears something different. Some are simple. And the point seems obvious. You can't even think about preaching on them because there's nothing more to say for the next hour. I've several times thought I should just say, well, that's it, and I'm go sit down. <laughs> I feel like there are some parables that are so challenging, they're almost overwhelming. I'm not even sure what the parable is trying to tell me. And what do you mean the last guy's getting hired, getting hired gets the same wage as the guy that showed up that morning? I don't get it. They're confusing. It could mean this or it could mean that. And sometimes the parables change. What I thought was the point when I was in my 20s is different than the point when I was in my 40s or now in my 60s. And some are surprising. Jesus doesn't end where we thought he would. So in general, in my preaching for the last 30 years, I've avoided parables. <laughs> Besides, I can always get a few resources much quicker in the Old Testament, faster, by just asking my husband, what should I look at? When it comes to New Testament, I have to really look at books. So here comes this parable in Luke 18. Well, there's really two parables back to back. The first one is actually before what I read. It's one of my very favorite parables. I call it the nevertheless the widow persisted parable. And then there's this one. You can tell they're connected because this parable starts by saying also, both are about prayer. Fred Craddock says both are about God's vindication. That is God's upholding, upholding, justifying, exonerating, and confirming. It seems that actually both parables have the same word in them, but in the first parable, it's translate vindicate. In the second parable, the same word is translated justify. The first, base, first parable actually basically says that God will soon vindicate the saints. And the second parable... It's more about God vindicating the sinners. 
It seems like Luke has placed two parables back to back, back to back in the place to remind us that one is about saints and one's about sinners. And apparently, from what I've read, Luke does this other places in his writing. You should know that this parable only is in Luke, not in any other gospel. Some parables come with introductory statements, and this has one, in which it says that Jesus was addressing both the disciples and also a more inclusive group of followers. But the first clue about this parable is right there in the start when the text tells us the parable is for those who only need themselves and see others with contempt. And at the end of the parable, there's a closing commentary. But the parable itself reads like a joke. Two guys go into the temple to pray, right? Now, scholars remind us that during Jesus' time, there would have been two periods of prayer, the third hour, which is 9 a.m., and the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., And the people sitting at Jesus' feet who heard that parable would have known that the two men were going for corporate worship. There would have been incense, the priest would have been there, and at the end, those who had prayed would wait for the priestly benediction. And these prayers were spoken out loud. A very different scene than what we experience in most of our congregations. Well, this one guy's a Pharisee, What do we know about Pharisees in general, and what do we know from his prayer? Well, he would have been known as a person who went above and beyond in the practice of living out the Jewish laws and faith. For example, the text tells us he fasted. Well, everyone is supposed to fast on the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisee didn't stop there. He fasted twice a week, probably Mondays and Thursdays. He would have been known for excelling and exceeding everyone else in religious observances. He would have interpreted the law literally and exactly. I think we've all met people like that. But Dr. David Garland from Truett Seminary, in his commentary, reminds us that we see this parable through modern-day eyes. We already know from the other things Jesus has said and all the things we've been taught in Sunday school that the Pharisee's a bad guy. When in fact, the people who heard this parable would have thought just the opposite. He is the saint of the church. He's the one who's always there. He's the one who contributes above and beyond. He greets you at the back door as you go out. He attends every time. When you ask him to do something, he's always there. He's the saint of the church. Dr. Garland's commentary says, he asks nothing from God because he thinks he needs nothing, though. Seeking God's mercy and forgiveness to him seems unnecessary. From what follows, he's already made out the exam, graded it himself, and given himself an A+. And what springs to our mind are words like self-absorbed, pumped up, devout, but with a bad attitude, judgmental, he prays, looking up to heaven, and most importantly, he compares himself to others. But the prayer he prays is a religious prayer. It's a rabbinic prayer with some slight modifications. 
and he stands up front, which is where he is supposed to be. The tax collector, on the other hand, he works for a former foreign government collecting taxes from his very own people. He lives in a cruel and corrupt system. He's a political traitor. In the temple, he would have been religiously unclean, a reprehensible character. And while his prayer reminds us of Psalm 51, Fred Craddock says, his life is offensive. He is ashamed and he looks down. He stands far away. He beats his chest, which interestingly enough, this is one of the few times that a man takes this kind of action of sorrow. More commonly, it is a woman in our scripture who rings out in this kind of situation of sorrow. He forces his attention to himself and doesn't pay any attention to those around him. He acknowledges his own sinful condition in the eyes of God. Dr. Garland says he offers no defense but comes with a contrite heart. So you see the Pharisee is the saint, the good guy, the tax collector, the sinner. But Dr. Garland reminds us that in our modern day, we've reversed those roles. In our day and age, tax collectors are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're fair. They're generally upright people. At least when I make my taxes out, maybe not as much to the IRS, but to Randy Riggs, I don't think of corruption and sin. This parable is a cautionary tale, though. The exalted will be humbled, and the humbled will be exalted. If anyone's coming home from that temple that morning to be justified, Jesus says it will be the tax collector, not the Pharisee. God receives those who import God's, implore God's mercy rather than those who parade in the, his supposed virtues. Now, when I was in seminary, and I have no idea whether they do this other places, or maybe it was college, who knows, and I was taking New Testament courses, one of the things they always had us do was rewrite or even write our own parables. Kind of a standard exercise. It can be challenging, but it can give you new insights. So I wanted to share you a little bit about what I did to this parable. And forgive me if you think this is sacrilegious. <laughs> He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a patriot and the other an immigrant. The patriot standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves and rogues and adulterers and even this immigrant. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of my income. But the immigrant standing far off would not even look up to. He was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Or try this one. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two people went to the temple to pray, one a man and the other a woman. And the man standing by himself was praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even this woman. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. 
But the woman standing far off would not even look up, but was beating her breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this woman went to her home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Or two men went to the temple to pray, one a Baptist and the other a Catholic. The Baptist, standing by himself, was saying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and even like this Catholic. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. Or two men went to the temple to pray, one the son of slave owners and the other the son of a slave. And the son of the slave over standing by himself was praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves and rogues and adulterers, and even like this son of a slave. You get my drift? But before you leave this morning thinking that the Pharisee or the first guy in the parable is the villain and the tax collector or the second person in the parable is the hero, if you think that, I've failed and I've missed my point because this parable is about arrogance and self-righteousness. It is about who is justified and right and who is accepted. And the good news here is for the tax collector and the bad news is here for the Pharisee. And as usual, Jesus wasn't just talking to the crowd. He was talking to each of us. This is personal. Most of you know I'm a Mennonite. So I bring with me always my Mennonite theology. And a Mennonite pastor took me, told me a long time ago, you can sum up Mennonite theology in two sentences. Jesus said what he meant, and he was saying it to us. Jesus is not just targeting specific groups from his day or age. He's not making a political commentary or religious commentary on a specific situation. No, in this case, we as the reader, we as the followers of Jesus have to go deeper. David Garland says, we have to find our inner Pharisee. No matter what you believe or how you live life, it is an easy trap to think you are above others and relegate others to lower status, calling people names, failing to listen to those around us, not allowing people to have a voice. In our culture, in our society, and even in our churches, we do that. More importantly, no matter how faithful or good you believe you are, no matter what you do, if it comes from that inner Pharisee in you, you need to heed the caution. If you're going to rewrite the parable and you're going to be honest, you have to put yourself in the role of the Pharisee. Jesus reminds us we're no better than anyone else, no matter what our re religious accomplishments are, what our education is, what our politics are, what our beliefs are. It's easy to feel superior to others. It's easy to think others have ideas and beliefs that are below us, and it's easy to be self-righteous. You can't just put the group you hate in the first category and the people you love in the second category. That is far too simple. The good news of Jesus Christ is that all are justified, accepted, and loved by God, not because of what we do, but in spite of what we do. My grandmother's grave, 
I visited just last weekend. And every time I stand at the foot of her grave, I remember a strong woman who worked so hard to get into heaven. But her tombstone says, saved by grace. Oh yeah, that joke I was telling you at the beginning, you know, the dogs tumbling and playing, like it's like working on parables. It's always fun and games until someone winds up wearing a cone. <laughs> it's always fun and games until we see ourselves right there in that parable and we hear Jesus talking directly to us. Amen.